Hi there, Michael Zuber. Thanks for listening to the One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that the book One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible? Yes, to all my podcast listeners out there, One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible. Go check it out and please leave a five-star review. Have a great day. Hey everyone, I have an exciting show for you today. I have a subscriber, a follower who wants to ask me some different kind of questions. So uh, let's welcome Brian Castro to the show. How you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, Brian, subscriber, uh, been following your videos for a while now, and uh, just want to ask you some burning questions that I have. Yeah, I know. You sent me you sent me some samples. I'm like, dude, I got to get this guy on the channel because these are questions that I think a lot of people are afraid to ask. Uh, maybe they think they're too political. Maybe they think I don't have an opinion. Um, so without further ado, why don't you just jump in? There's no real flow here. You're just going to ask questions that you sent. And if you come up with others, ask. Let's go. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so the first one I have is I saw uh, in Joe Biden's policy proposal, um, this idea of getting rid of the 1031 exchange, mm -hmm. um, which I, I know is has huge tax advantages, right? Um, yep. So I'm, I'm curious, what's that, what, if it, if it is taken away, what the implications might be on real estate investing? Yeah, so, so let's first give context to the entire 1031 exchange. Let's, let's talk about what it is, and then, and then we'll give kind of what I've seen history of it. So the 1031 exchange, if you read our book, is something that we leveraged a lot in 06. It allows you to sell one asset and then do what's called a light kind exchange into something bigger. And your ability to do that uh, because you're basically flipping off the IRS, right? The IRS is not getting the tax of the capital gains, which they would normally uh, have, right? You're going, we went from a house to apartment, house to an apartment. Uh, so it was a key element to our success. It was a key element to a lot of our future, right? It's something we plan on leveraging. So losing it would be a problem. So now let's step back and go look at what Joe Biden said. First, I want it to be clear to everyone out there, this is not a new idea. In fact, our current president, who is a real estate guy, brought it up as something he would look at in 2016's election. So to think this is a Democrat or a Republican idea is, um, I don't know, I guess misguided, but everything's, everything today is political, so I get it. Um, I do think uh, it is something if Biden were to be elected, he would consider. Absolutely. Uh, I think it is something that many, many, I think it's something that'll have to be looked at because one of the things that is certain folks is we've already printed $3 trillion, um, you know, with the last stimulus and we're not done. Uh, and unfortunately our federal and state and local governments, their only way to produce revenue is taxes. So I believe the real estate industry is in for some tax changes going forward. Would it be the 1031 exchange? I kind of doubt it. Um, you know, what, what is the 1031 exchange? It really helps people get bigger. And what does the federal government need more of? What does state government need more of? It needs more affordable housing. So if you were to eliminate the 1031 exchange, you're going to basically reduce the ability for clients or people to get bigger. And I don't think they want to do that. Um, will it be considered? Absolutely. Is it possible? Absolutely. Is it likely? I think there's other things that are better to do uh, than the 1031 exchange. And again, remember, folks, if Trump talked about it in 16, Biden talked about it in 20, this is not a red, blue, Democrat, Republican thing. 
It is a loophole that not many people understand. It sounds good to people out there, but the federal government wants more affordable housing and I do not see them taking away the 1031 exchange. That's my opinion anyway. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. Next question. I, uh, I read this article about um, investors are sitting on the biggest pile of cash ever. Mm. Um, and I know I, I've seen some videos of yours. Um, could you clarify? I mean, yeah. do you, do you recommend that people sit on cash right now and kind of wait? Um, or I mean, what's your thoughts on sitting on cash right now? Yeah. So th that's a great question. I wish more people would ask these questions. Um, first and foremost, sitting on cash to be in cash is generally not a good idea. Right. But, but be very careful what I'm saying here. Um, because cash, it, it doesn't produce income really, especially in a zero interest rate environment. It, it uh, depreciates, right? The dollar is being eaten away by inflation all the time. The dollar is less strong than it used to be. There's not a lot of reasons to be in the dollar as a long-term strategy, right? So hear me here, long-term strategy. I do believe there are times, and I think we're probably in one of them now, where if you're looking at Main Street and you're looking at Wall Street and you're seeing this huge chasm between what the top two or 3% think in the stock market and then what's happening to the other 97% of Americans, it's never been this wide. So I think being conservative today because you don't know what's gonna happen in the next six months, you might wanna deploy your capital and other things once they go on sale. I think it's a great strategy. And frankly, that is the strategy I am deploying. I have more cash today than I've ever had and I'm doing it on purpose. But it's not to be in cash, which was kind of the leading question. It's, hey, once the environment sorts itself out, once we get to a pain threshold where things go on sale, I will deploy it because I don't want cash. Cash is like the last thing I want. But in an environment where things are inflated, where Main Street and Wall Street disagree, I want to be ready because, again, what, what was the most meaningful time to my investing career? It was 2010 when stuff was on sale both stock market and real estate. I believe today's 2020 is fake. I believe we are hiding pain. I believe the treasury and the Fed have done an enormous job of making, of just flooding the world with dollars. And what we are seeing in the stock market is not real. What we are seeing in bond pricing and debt financing is not real. So I'm gonna let these zombie companies do whatever they're gonna do until the election. Then reality is gonna set in and one of two things are going to happen. One, I'm going to be right and things go on sale and I'm going to buy a lot of stuff. Or two, I'm going to be spectacularly wrong and assets are going to run higher. And, you know, then sitting on cash will have been a mistake. But I believe as an investor, my number one job is to control the downside. Hence, I've chosen to be in cash today because the downside is spectacular. Uh, while the upside could be great, uh, I'm not willing to bet on the upside today. So, I am in cash because I want to be conservative, not because I want to say I'm in cash. So it's kind of a subtle difference. But I do think based on all those articles I've read, there are a lot of people like me that are like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to chill, I'm going to wait till 2021, and then I'm going to go shopping. So the cash will come off the sidelines. It's either going to be stuff's on sale or it's going to be people like me that we get to March, April, May of next year and are like, shoot. I missed it. I got to come in now. So 
uh, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I'm I'm in cash more than I would like today, but I'm just going to be comfortable with it because mm. stuff doesn't make sense today. Um, now, obviously, if a deal comes across your desk that makes sense, mm -hmm. you're still doing it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've done two deals during this pandemic. Uh, they were both off-market deals. Both came to me via my network. They were both at price points. I could hold them forever. I have multiple exit strategies. They produce outside yield or outside returns. My market's six and a half. I got nines and 11s on these. So yeah, I'm doing deals. I'm looking every day. Folks, the stuff I talk about on this channel, I am doing every freaking day, right? And when the deals come along, I'll do them. But I got to tell new investors, it's tough today. Today, you got to learn your market. You got to watch. You got to get educated. I keep recommending the course because it's the best thing I've created. If you want to feel like you're learning and doing something, take the course because it is so easy to make a mistake today as a new investor. Oh, I'm bidding on this house. All I got to do is go up five grand or 10 grand and it's mine. Well, if you raise, if you raise your offer 10 grand, maybe it's not a good deal anymore. And too many new investors just want to say they did a deal. And today is not a time to say I did a deal, uh, in my opinion. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. Uh, next question, commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think it's kind of a, a bad investment now due to the whole work from home thing, uh, in the long term? Uh, so let's, so when we say commercial, we have to be very careful, right? Commercial is a big bucket. We'll break it down into big chunks. Uh, let's think industrial warehousing. Awesome investment. Uh, mm -hmm. if you know anything for certain for the next de decade, sh you know, work from home, ship to home, 24 hour shipping, huge deal. Industrial. Awesome. Uh, then you can do multifamily. Uh, one of the things that is going to be interesting is I think we have a K-shaped recovery, which I've talked about on this channel and where that plays with multifamily is I think there are some cities that lose uh, the big vertical cities being obvious choices, Seattle, New York, San Francisco, LA, um, big city, uh, other cities are going to win. I th actually think Fresno is one of those markets that win because you're still in California. You can still commute to the city if you have to for those two, three, four month meetings but you can live so much better. So I think multifamily in suburbs that are going to grow uh, will win. I think it's red, red states, unfortunately, because I think they have the policies and the whatnot to attract. I think you can still find red cities in blue states a la Fresno. People need to realize and respect Fresno uh, because while California is this huge blue state that's deep, deep blue, there's this little part of Central Valley that's red and has the tax policies and whatnot to, um, to bear. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy. Uh, you know, if you would ask me a year ago if I thought, thought this way, no. But in today's environment with work from home and still in California and all the goodness that is Cali, um, I'm excited by what Fresno has to, to bear. So multifamily, uh, I think, is going to have some winners and losers. There's the hospitality, big hotels. Um, I think in general, hotels are in trouble. There will be some vacation spots that are in driving distance that will ultimately do okay. But like hotels and casinos in Nevada and Vegas, oh my God, I cannot imagine a worse thing at this point. Uh, and then finally, I think where you were leading me was office. Office is the wrinkle. Office is the thing. Because yes, I think there will be less people in offices, but I think you will need more space per person. So... It'll be interesting. I think in general, office is something I wouldn't touch because I think it needs to be repriced. I think that's what's generally going to happen in commercial is commercial has to go through a year or two of repricing because what was hot is not hot. And then what wasn't hot is hot. It's, it's a really weird dynamic. 
I think most of the pain for banks today is commercial pain. I think they've done a great job of hiding and controlling uh, residential pain, meaning bad debt, mortgages, foreclosures, short sale, especially as prices rise. I think residential is basically fine, but commercial, man, oh, I see a lot of commercial debt in trouble. I see a lot of commercial uh, CMBDS uh, kind of these bonds that they create in trouble. Um, I think there's a ton of pain. And I think a lot of big banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, all these folks who have commercial debt as a part of their institution uh, have a year, a year and a half of pain ahead of them. And it's, it's going to hurt. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, cool. Um, so the next question, I'm not too uh, entirely clear on the wholesaling business model, mm. but I have seen people call it, or it can be uh, unethical sometimes. I don't know if you've seen that. Is, is wholesaling unethical? I want to see what your two cents were on that. Yeah. So, so let's just ask, let's answer that question one of two ways. Is the business of wholesaling real estate or really, frankly, wholesaling anything unethical? Absolutely not. Right. You are buying something at a discount, right? You're buying wholesale, selling retail. I would say there are thousands of businesses out there that do that every day. Uh, and, and if you treat selling of buying of, of controlling real estate in the same means, it is absolutely not unethical. It is something that big businesses are built on. That said, there are unethical practitioners in the business mm. without question. But frankly, you can say that in any industry, right? There are Ponzi schemes out there. There are investor frauds. There are all these things. So yes, there are some bad actors in wholesaling. There are people that prey on the old and the elderly, um, which is not a good look. They try to, they try to, there are, there are bad actors, but is the business of wholesaling residential real estate unethical? Absolutely not. There are just some unethical practitioners uh, that frankly need to go to jail, frankly. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's what I think. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I've, I've seen that question in the zeitgeist and I haven't uh, fully understood it, but um, next question. Uh, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people talk about or kind of freak out over this uh, force majeure clause. Yeah um about how pretty much in extraordinary circumstances you don't have to pay rent essentially right you use a force majeure clause in a lease mm -hmm. uh, i'm curious what your thoughts are on that is now a, a time to could you use that force majeure clause now is that as an acceptable time to use it yeah so let's so let's talk about what a force majeure clause so first and foremost a force majeure clause has has been around for probably hundreds of years it is in every major contract. It is a part of, it's frankly a part of the stock market, right? One of the things that you will see in option trading, like options on soybean and, or futures contracts, if sorry, futures contracts, like soybeans and flour and oranges and all these other things is if there is some external outside event, like a hurricane, for example, that comes in and wipes out all the oranges in Florida, if you had a contract for oranges from California, you could, you could claim force majeure because the supply demand imbalance would be out of whack through unnatural causes. That's what a force majeure mm. causes. Basically calling a timeout, previous contract is null and void because of this outside external, external very unlikely event, but it happened. So uh, where I think you've, you're hearing this is there are force majeure clauses in leases, typically in office leases, in retail leases, uh, and all of that. And yeah, if you are a retailer that had a force majeure clause on your lease and you were inside a shopping mall, and oh, by the way, the shopping mall has been shut for 85 of 90 days, you bet your ass you should be claiming a force majeure clause. 
absolutely. Uh, where some people are taking these force majeure clauses is to residential. Uh, I have leases with my tenants and I do not, I am not aware. Uh, I haven't read my lease in detail in several years, but I do not recall a force majeure clause in any residential lease. Um, I'm sure they're out there and maybe they'll be added in the future. But as of today, force majeure is a com it's in commercial contracts. It is in futures contracts. Uh, it is a business term that, that smart business people use because really force majeure um, is something out there that you really can't get insurance for. Or if you got insurance for it, it would be ridiculously expensive. Um, that way you can still continue to do, do business. Uh, so I think force majeure clause is, is contract law. It's a part of contracts. Uh, it is something that certainly should be deployed if you're a retailer and the mall is shut, uh, as an example, um, or an office building, right? Where you, you know, you have office space, but now nobody can come to your office. You should use it. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tool that should be used, and I bet you it's in a lot more contracts going forward for sure. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then um, I've I've heard a lot of this. Uh, I still don't understand it. This idea of rent where you live own where you rent. Um, I, I still kind of don't understand that because I mean, wouldn't you want to own where you live? Because I mean, over time, at least yeah, uh, you so, build equity, right? Yeah. So I think, I think the person that says that most often today is Grant Cardone. Um, and I guess I understand it. It's kind of a little twist on what Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad said decades ago. Uh, so let's, let's talk about it. First and foremost, I don't believe it's the right answer for most people. I think when you look at the average population in, in America, which I think last time I heard is like 330 million people, it's like 150 million households or something. Um, I think most people would benefit from owning their home. For most people, owning their home is a financial accomplishment. Uh, it is a forced savings. It protects them uh, from inflation. It, it, it really is an anchor of most folks' retirement engine. So for most people, owning a home is awesome. However, if you are truly an investor and you wanna live where you want but own other things, um, it can be a decent strategy. I know several real estate investors who have chosen to rent very, very nice homes because it's cheaper than owning them and they just deploy all their excess capital into buying stuff. So it is a legitimate strategy. It is something uh, that is beneficial if this is your business and, and you want to do that. Also, if you want flexibility and movement and things of that nature. I think it's borderline dishonest to kind of say it's a strategy everybody should do. It's just frankly not. I don't know what the percentage is, but I bet you it's over 90%. It's the wrong strategy to say that. I think most people change their financial future by owning their home. So uh, I understand it. I know people that that is the right strategy for, but I think it's dis disingenuous to say that's the right strategy for everyone because it's just flat out not true. Mm. Okay, interesting. Um, and then at what I, I believe you might have done a, a video on this previously, um, but I, I was wondering at what point should you get a property manager? So like, mm. um, is it after, you know, you kind of start to feel stressed, you know, maybe you're on the third property now and you, it's mm. hard to manage, um, or should you just get it straight off the bat, the first one? So in general, again, the, the clientele that I speak to generally speaking are full-time employees. Uh, so I would tell full-time employees to get property manager day one. 
uh, in general, right, as a general rule. And, and that's what we did. But part of that's because I had a day job that would keep me all over the world. Uh, I had family responsibilities and I only had 15 minutes a day to look for deals. I had zero time to deal with tenants. The second thing is, is I never want to deal with tenants. What I have learned after 20 years is property management is the hardest, most painful part of this business. And I don't want any part of it. It would, my, my days are wonderful now the, and, and I have time to do it if I wanted to, but you could not pay me enough to manage my own property. Not, not freaking happening. Um, so I would tell you to do deals that make sense to include property management. That said, some people invest in properties. Like there's somebody that follows me that can walk to all their properties within 10 minutes. Walk. You know, if that's your thing and, and that's, what that, that's what you enjoy doing, great. Self-manage, right? If you literally can walk to all your properties within 10 minutes, I totally understand. But again, for most people, certainly for most full-time employees, your job should be to find deals, secure capital, let somebody else property management, in my opinion. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then I was curious, uh, I see a lot of, um, I, I was curious what your two cents are on this idea of reputation mm. and why it matters in real estate. Uh, because I see a lot of people really, you know, your reputation in real estate matters, your reputation. Really, I'm curious what your two cents are on that. Yeah. The only thing I could say there is if you want to be in the real estate business for longer than a couple of years, you have to treat your reputation like gold. Anybody could come into this environment, burn a couple of bridges, get a few deals done and make some money. Hmm. But that's not what real estate is. Real estate investing is not the physical asset. It's not the home, the apartment, the mobile home, the office building. It is your reputation. You are going to be in this business trading on your reputation for years. Earlier, you asked me about doing deals in this environment. And I told you I got two deals for my network. The only reason I was able to do that is because my reputation, I take paramount. Uh, one, of the, one of the deals I got done was from somebody that I dealt with eight years ago. And another deal I got done was from a friend of a friend. I did a deal with someone who recommended me and I was able to do another deal. And, and I only get those two deals because my reputation is gold. I will lose money before I damage my reputation. Uh, if you're going to be in this business for anything longer than two years, uh, you better treat your reputation like gold. You better treat it above money. You better be willing to lose money. You better be willing to bend over backwards, admit mistakes, all those things. Real estate is a reputation business bar none. Sweet. Cool. So yeah, those are all pretty much all the questions I had. I uh, right. really appreciate you answering them. I appreciate you having the balls to come out and ask me. I mean, a lot of people probably have these questions and I don't know if they think they get nervous or whatnot, but no, man, anytime you get more questions like that, maybe get a list of five to eight of them, send me a text, send me a note and uh, we'll do this again. I thought these were great questions, Brian. So thank you very much for your time. Enjoy your Sunday. Sweet. Thank you. All right.